Hello, hello, and welcome to a afternoon, excuse me, not an afternoon, a late night edition. My rundown still says Elimination Chamber, and we're already off to a hot start. It's the Thursday night edition of the Wrestling Inc. podcast. It's myself, the content, and Liam Crowley hosting this one alongside two amazing guests. First, to my very far left, the man in charge, Wrestling Inc. founder and owner, Mr. Raj. Gary Raj, always a pleasure to see you on these microphones. Always a pleasure here, too. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. I'm excited to talk wrestling news and talk a little Peacemaker later in the show. And we are joined as well by an OG from the Thursday night edition of the Wrestling Inc. podcast, the maestro behind some of the music of Impact Wrestling's top talents. It's Matt Kuhn. Matt, fantastic to see you again. Great to see you guys, too. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure to talk to you guys and to talk to all the listeners today. Absolutely. The Thursday night edition of the Wrestling Inc. podcast. Most viewers are familiar at this point with what this show looks like, but just in case you're new to Thursday nights, here on the Thursday night edition of the Wrestling Inc. podcast, we talk the top news inside the squared circle, but we also venture outside of the world of sports entertainment and dive into just pure entertainment. This week, we'll be talking all things Peacemaker. That's right, John Cena's solo series on HBO Max from creative genius James Gunn. It's finally wrapped up season one, and we're going to dive into our spoiler-filled thoughts. But before we get there, we're going to kick things off with some wrestling news and some very timely wrestling news. Oh, man. Cesaro has officially departed WWE in a bit of a whisper, very quietly exiting World Wrestling Entertainment as of today. According to PW Insider, his contract has expired, and they failed to meet terms on a new Deal. He was originally scheduled to be at Friday SmackDown in Hershey, Pennsylvania, but he is not going to be there, obviously, as he is no longer a part of the company. Cesaro and WWE had been in negotiations, but were unable to come to terms on a new deal. He last wrestled on the February 11th edition of Friday Night SmackDown, losing to Happy Corbin. He leaves WWE as a five-time Raw slash WWE tag champ, a two-time SmackDown tag champ, a one-time United States champion, and the inaugural Andre the Giant memorial battle royal winner raj i'll go to you first i feel like this news is low-key a long time coming what are your emotions with cesaro officially leaving wwe well yeah so we we actually broke last year that cesaro's contract was up last year and um you know at the time uh he ended up not signing a long-term deal he signed a one-year extension which we we found out late which we recently found out or actually today at the time we just knew he re-signed uh, so, yeah, all of a sudden you saw him just losing nonstop. And usually when that's happening, um, you kind of know something's up. But, yeah, his contract expired. Uh, his one-year extension that he signed last year expired. And now he uh, is a free agent. And it, by expired, it doesn't mean he wasn't released. So there's no uh, non-compete clause or anything like that. He's free to go wherever he wants. I mean, he could show up. Um, I mean, I guess what, what's the next big show? Faces guess, the Revolution right? ladder match. They still need spots to fill. They, yeah, they still need spots. Right AEW is an obvious one. New Japan could really uh, use a, a bolt. Um, you know, they can use a, a, a little spark right now. So he'd be great there too. Uh, I'm sure Impact would love to have him. I'm not sure if they can, if the money would be right, but who knows? Um, so yeah, there's just a lot of options for him right now. Matt Kuhn, Cesaro, often touted as one of the most underutilized talents in WWE for the decade that he was there. What are your emotions with Cesaro moving on, and where would you like to see him end up? You know, it, it all goes to presentation and promotion, but also with Cesaro, it goes to timing. Like, I think Raj and I, and you were talking about the 80s earlier, he would have fit in really good as an 80s heel, you know, someone to take on Hogan or something like that. Never seemed to really find his bearings, although... It definitely goes to presentation. I feel bad for Cesaro because it feels like he just got this time machine that moves at the exact same speed as time. You know, like he got in the WWE, he was there, he got out, and I think he's in pretty much the same negotiating position he would have been when he went in that many years ago. Um, I, I would love to see him. You know, the AEW thing, it's like everybody's like, there's so many people, there's so many people. But if, if Cesaro is as special as we, as we think he is, he would be a great pickup for AEW. Um, I don't know if that opportunity is there. I think somebody will pick him up, but you, I wouldn't be surprised to see him in Impact or even, you know, Wolf and Game Changer Wrestling. I think uh, there's a lot of opportunities there, but maybe not as many as he would have had a couple years ago. 
ECW would be pretty fire the more I think about it. I think he would fit in with that kind of like intimate, like ragged crowd. That'd be really fun. Raj, I want to go back to you in terms of uh, uh, Cesaro moving on to the indie scene or also maybe an AEW and Impact in New Japan. Are there any matchups you'd like to see him square off with? Oh, I mean, there's a bunch. Um, you know, I mean, it, there's so many. O- Okada would be fantastic. Uh, Kenny Omega would be awesome. I'm punk. I mean, it's just kind of kind of limitless with the talent out there. I mean, there's a ton in WWE too uh, that you just never really got those those big feuds. Like he he had that feud with Seth Rollins, and it just kind of fizzled out. Um, so, I mean, there's just with a talented guy like him, there's just there's just so many. It's it's tough to name even twenty because there's so many yeah for me i'd love to see the kings of wrestling reunite chris hero i don't really know what he's been up to since he was quietly released as a part of the mass april 2020 releases i believe he had some fun stuff in nxt uk and a lot of people were hoping for a reunion between cesaro and cassius ono in wwe but now maybe we get claudia and here i think that could be pretty fun macoon any uh big matchups you see cesaro having in the near future well i'm a big fan of chris hero uh we're pretty friendly uh, i've been talking about this i know that chris has been he did some stuff with ring of honor as far as a producer um i don't know what his desire is to get into the ring i, I think i know he's he's not done done but would he also see them tag again uh i would i think cesaro is a guy with the right presentation who could fit in anywhere but the most important thing is how he presents himself now. Look at Matt Cardona. If you're mm. a wrestler who's been released and you're not taking the lessons of Matt Cardona about how you present yourself, how you can leverage yourself and make yourself appear the way you want to be seen, Jeff Jarrett did the same thing. There, Or you just put yourself out there and, and wrestle for every company and kind of diminish your value. There is a way that Cesaro can go out there and present himself to be a bigger deal than he's been in WWE. But at this point, it's up to him and the people around him. Yeah, he never quite found that right presentation in WWE. They kind of were all over the place for a while. He was wearing that sparkly jacket. Uh, you know, for a while, he had the little ripoff suit for a while. You know, he was, what was that, uh, the Zeb Coulter group with Jack Swagger? Oh, uh, the uh, Real Americans. The, Americans. the Real Americans. Was it the Real Americans? Yeah. No, that's yeah, straight right? from that's Hogan's theme. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the five he, languages people forget. Yeah, the five <laughs> languages. He was uh, the wine drinking guy. Yes, I mean, he was just, or the coffee drinking guy. He was just all <laughs> over the place. Um, and just never really found that one that clicked. There was a a, pre- a period there when he wanted that Andre the Giant Battle Royal, where he seemed like he was really getting some steam. They had the, the Cesaro section signs. He was getting the big ovations. But instead of kind of going with that, all of a sudden they paired him with Paul Heyman, who was, you know, a heel manager at that time. So... It just didn't. It just kind of cut off his uh, his babyface momentum. That only lasted a couple months, and then Heyman was gone, and Cesaro was kind of back in Never Neverland. So uh, it, it he just never kind of found that niche. And you know, uh, he, he's a talented guy, obviously one of the best in ring workers around. But uh, just needing to find that you know that personality or the right character, because even in AEW, as much as uh, it's so important, you know, if you have, if you're really good in the ring, it does help you out tremendously. But you look at the guys on top, they're all great personalities. The one, you know, any main event of a pay-per-view, it's not people uh, that are just good in ring workers without a, a strong character. So yeah, you, you do need to have both. And I will say to circle back to the whole Paul Heyman pairing, a lot of people wondering, you know, you pair him with arguably the greatest manager in modern day. How did it not work? I feel like a lot of people have said it in hindsight too. Heyman was really only on TV in 2014 to remind us that Brock Lesnar beat the streak. Immediately after Mania, Brock went away, and from April until August, Paul Heyman came out and talked about how his client beat the streak. Oh, and by the way, here's my new guy, Cesaro. So he felt like a on the right. back burner. He felt like an afterthought to his manager, and it just kind of made him feel like second rate to ultimately Brock Lesnar. And then I believe... Uh, did Ryback come into the fold or no, that was the year. Ryback did exactly. for a little bit. Like the, it wasn't Heyman coming off of, you know, Brock Lesnar and all this gravitas. He had come off of Curtis Axel and Ryback, two failed clients. And when you have a guy who's on TV every single week, like Cesaro, and all you want to do is talk about your part-time guy, it's only going to diminish the guy who's there on a regular basis. And I feel like I agree. I think he had the cusp of a great baby face run in April, 2014. And they just kind of cut his legs out from underneath by, 
boosting him with everything you think you would need for a heel run. But in reality, it kind of took away what was special. Matt, am I, am I right in that analysis? Absolutely. I think that Cesaro was the victim of a, a complete lack of interest and continuity in people below the main event level. You know, Vince has always been known to focus on that main event level. And when you look at that WrestleMania, the first one I ever attended in person, um, and I've attended several since, not only did he win the Battle Royal, but I believe he got turned babyface in that same WrestleMania. I think Swagger and Coulter may have turned on him or vice versa. And and I, I think it was the same WrestleMania. It, but that was the kind of moment in time where if someone was there who kind of was in charge of the continuity of the mid-card or the upper mid-card, it would have been a thing. But we saw this so many times with him. So many starts and stops. Is he James Bond? Is he grabbing a brass <laughs> ring? Is he a guy who is a strong man who can give his finisher to the great Kali? Who is this guy? Why should we care about him? That's the, the, the continuity issue that WWE has is creating characters we want to see. Wrestling's great. I love wrestling. However, we want to see reasons for people to fight. And so with Cesaro... We were never really given a good reason to get behind him or be against him. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I do think that he kind of struggled from too many gimmicks at once as we get our first super chat of the night from Mia Lee. Thank you so much for supporting the stream, Mia. Uh, Nathan Frazier, A-Kid, Pretty Deadly, Mustache Mountain, and Miko from NXT UK would be something fresh for the main roster. Lita and Liv, women's tag champs at Mania. So a whole lot going on at once. Thank you so much for that super chat. But yeah, a lot of great talent from NXT UK. We've even seen, I mean... You know, say what you will about Dewdrop, but she's in a pretty prominent spot on Monday Night Raw. Sure, people still want her to go back to being Piper Niven, but still, like, NXT UK is deep with talent, and Mustache Mountain has been kind of, I don't want to say rotting there for too long, but, you know, they've they've done just about everything there is to do in any WWE developmental brand. They've won gold in both NXT and NXT UK, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe those NXT UK tag titles have eluded them. Either way, from these potential NXT... UK uh, roster members. Are there any ones, Raj, I'll go to you first, that stick out for a call-up? Uh, I mean, yeah, I, c I could see all of them. Uh, the, the one thing that kind of stood out to me a little bit was Lita and Liv um, as women's <laughs> tag champions. I just got to say, I thought the way Lita kind of went out at Elimination Chamber was a really good way to go. She had a really good match that, uh, that you know, got a lot of heat from the crowd, and, and the crowd was into it. It was... Um, way better than her last uh, retirement with WWE, to say the least. That's kind of the understatement of the year. But um, I thought the way she went out there was was perfect. Now, if she had a singles match at Mania, I think that would be great. But a tag match, I just don't feel like that's – I feel like this was already bigger, and it's it just does – I think that was just a great way to go out. So I, I wouldn't be surprised, though, since her appearance was so good. WWE loves to lean into these – past names and these big names and these people that, you know, they don't have to worry about signing long-term contracts. I wouldn't be surprised if they saw that match in Saudi Arabia and said, hey, we can get a couple more out of her. She's perfect for WrestleMania. You know, um, I don't know about a tag match, but I definitely doubt we've seen the last of Lita in the near future because she looks like she's ready for a couple more. And if she does, I, I think Sasha Banks would be perfect because you got Sasha there without an opponent. Yeah, unless unless she's doing something with Bailey or something. But other, other than that, I think well, Sasha it, live. Yeah, it wouldn't be WrestleMania without some kind of poorly booked Sasha and Bailey thing going on, right? Like that's <laughs> that's a WrestleMania tradition. It is. That is true. Except for last year, so they, Sasha uh, had a, a great spot last year, but she's never won a WrestleMania match. Really, but. To be yeah. fair, for uh, for Bailey on the other half of that, she got beat up by the Bella Twins, which a lot of people yeah. were not too happy about. So we've yet to see them both booked strongly on a mania. <laughs> Who knows if that'll happen in the near future. But let's switch over into some ratings chatter. Raw this week had a big pop coming off the Elimination Chamber high. 1.8 million viewers up nearly 14% from last week's 1.6. A 0.51 in that key 18 to 49 demo, up 16% from last week's 0.44. And number one on the cable top 150, sticking even with last week. Raj, you are the numbers guy when it comes to the Wrestling Inc. podcast. Educate me here. Is this good news for Raw on the road to WrestleMania? Well, you would expect it to be up um, from last week anyway, just because they were on Sci-Fi. So, um, you know, Sci-Fi, it's you know, going to go down, but their, their number on sci-fi last week was really good. And, but this, yeah, it, it's, it's 
their best, uh, second best audience of the year, uh, just behind the post Royal Rumble episode. And the post Royal Rumble episode is almost always one of the highest rated episodes of the year. Uh, so it's the second most watched episode since October 4th, which was the draft episode. So you're going back months. And same thing in the 18 to 49 demo. It was the, the highest rated. It even beat the post Rumble uh, Raw for the highest rated in 18 to 49 since October 4th. So really strong numbers for Raw uh, for, for where they're at uh, right now. Uh, they're still uh, under what they were doing you know, before football season started. So it's it's one of those things where every year you're seeing that bump in April and then they got the big loss in, you know, when football season starts and then they have a number of viewers that don't come back. And I keep thinking like maybe Raw to another night is probably not the worst idea. If you move it to Tuesday, you're not losing those viewers every year. And also you have those five months of ratings where you're not 15% down because of football. So you know, I, I know Raw on Monday nights is kind of a religion to a lot of people, but business-wise, it might not be the worst idea for it to be on a Tuesday. It's a very good point. One I've heard you make before, and you talk about Raw being on Monday nights being a religion. It's been a religion for 1,500 episodes, as you've mentioned on Twitter. And before we got rolling here, Raw's 1,500th episode was this Monday, and barely any mentions of it, barely any touting on social media hey, we've reached another big milestone for the longest reigning weekly episodic program in cable history. No mention of that whatsoever. Matt, I'll go to you. Do you think praising this as being the 1500th episode of Monday Night Raw would have done bigger numbers for it? Or is it still just kind of at that weird spot? Well, yeah, if they would have celebrated 1500 episodes, they would have had pomp and circumstance special guests to go um, along with it. As far as the rating for this week's show, I don't believe uh, it's a follow-up to the um, Saudi Arabia show, Elimination Chamber. I don't believe it's because necessarily they got to uh, USA again after a strong week on sci-fi. There was a small contingent of people who were hoping that Cody Rhodes was going to show up on Raw this week. Mm. And I think that kind of explains the bump a, a, a little bit in that with this Cody Rhodes thing, there's not a lot of uh, confirmation as to when he's going to show. I would suspect WrestleMania. But, you know... Uh, you know, certain interviews done with certain people like Kenny, who's saying he thought he was on a plane to Saudi Arabia. It kind of led people to believe that maybe Cody's coming sooner rather than later. And I think there are people who watched it and expected Cody to come out. And, you know, like Miz introducing uh, Logan Paul, he put a couple teases out there, you know, that that would uh, maybe make people think that Cody is is coming soon. And And, and- Kind of to that point, this that would that would have been the night to do it. Not maybe not Cody, <laughs> maybe not Cody, but Austin, or if you know, if indeed Austin's coming back, because it worked out so perfectly that the 1500th episode is the night after their pay per view, and basically the start of the build to WrestleMania, and those special episodes do big numbers. Last year, the highest rated RAW of the year. Do you know what it was? Was it Legends Night? It was Legends Night. More <laughs> than the post-Mania Raw. More than the post-Rumble uh, the post Rumble Raw. It was Legends And nothing has beaten it since. That's still that most watched Raw in the past two years. Yeah, So those special episodes do a lot. So I don't see... And it's not like you need to you need to call uh, IRS and, and, you know, guys like that, but you just having a few <laughs> have Stone Cold be a surprise and, you know, and just hype it up. You get your big number and it's on the way to WrestleMania and you, you try to do, set up your, a big angle, a big WrestleMania angle and, and just keep going. If there's any proof that Vince is slipping, it's the fact that he did not take advantage of this moment to brag about 1500 episodes of raw, you know, Vince will celebrate a three-year anniversary. He'll celebrate 800 episodes, you know, and 1,500. I mean, it's not the biggest landmark, but it is a landmark that we're not going to see another one for quite a while. So this is an opportunity for them. They definitely just dropped the ball and said, well, we're not going to worry about that. You know, uh, it seems like a miss. It seems like the time to even introduce a third big angle, you know, that that people want to talk about for WrestleMania besides possibly Austin coming back or Cody coming in. There's all kinds of opportunities they could have really, um, you know, for instance, maybe had the undertaker appear or something like that. For a primetime TV show, that's gotta be a record though for raw, right? Except for maybe like 60 minutes. 
I, I can't think of one that was big. I just remember uh, the builds. The build to Raw 1000 lasted for about two months. They had right. Heath Slater get beat by every single legend leading up to Raw 1000. And speaking of Lita, she was the one who beat him on Raw 1000. Yeah, and they very heavily touted, you know, no weekly episodic program has done what we've done before. And it's not like they've missed any Mondays since uh, whatever it was, July 2012. Like they've been on the air every single week. And we talk about milestones like this. It comes around once every 10 years. There's 52 weeks out of the year. It takes you 10 years right. to add on another 500. The next time this will happen, Raw 2000, which obviously has more pomp and circumstance, and we ex expect them to celebrate it in 2032. Like, we don't know what the pro wrestling landscape looks like Jeez. in 10 years. My daughters be out of college, maybe married. It's just it's kind of crazy. Yeah. And in case you guys at home are, are wondering, uh, WrestleMania, or excuse me, Raw 1000 is like WrestleMania and Starcade put together for Liam. Like, he can tell you segment by segment what happened, who was there, how he felt about it, what he was doing. Raw 1000 is literally Liam's WrestleMania 1. It's fantastic. Because I also remember jumping for joy. At, oh, my God. It's three hours permanently. This is great. More wrestling every single oh, no. Monday. Yeah, and that was the night. Bad. That was the night they switched. In 10 Kids years dumb, of the future, aren't they? I look back and go, why? Why Listen was I kids. celebrating this? Um, yeah. yeah but next year, uh, I, I hope they don't forget this or, or not do anything, but next year is Raw 30. Oh, very true. It's been five years since Raw 25. Mm-hmm. Next year. Time flies. That is Insane. That's something. Well, anyways, you know, we have a lot to look forward to on the road to WrestleMania. You mentioned Stone Cold feels inevitable to be showing up in the coming weeks. Cody, you know, the big question. Every let, single let me ask time. you this real quick about Stone Cold, both of you guys. Mm -hmm. if, if he's going to be at WrestleMania, which that's what it seems like, does it make sense? Because if he's wrestling Kevin Owens, he's doing something with the tag titles in two weeks. So that would mean Austin's not coming until after that, either that episode or after that. Would it make more sense to have it sooner? like this past Monday, so you could get those ticket sales early on. Because the later you wait, because WrestleMania is such a travel event. So many people travel that you want to make plans and hotels and, and you want that time. And the later you do it, the less time people have to really make those plans. I wonder if they maybe book it like CM Punk's return, the worst kept secret, have Owens continue to take jabs and be like open challenge at WrestleMania any Texas rattlesnake in the building can face me or something like that. It's weird though. Cause like you mentioned, he's tied up for now and I don't know when Austin does come out, but in the age of networks, not wanting any like surprises, we we've heard about how uh, TNT wanted sting announced beforehand to pop a rating. Like, you know, why wouldn't you want Austin on the USA network when raw is doing sub 2 million every single week? It feels inevitable that he'll show up. And you mentioned the punk example. That was for a, a TV show. The pay-per-view, they still advertised it. Yeah. Especially when you consider WWE has money to burn. So giving Austin additional money for an appearance doesn't seem like something that would be a deal breaker. And to what you're saying, uh, what Raj was saying, is that the longer they wait, the longer that there is a measurable uh, amount of money they're losing. Because uh, I'll tell you, if they announce it early enough, I'll probably fly out to WrestleMania. I'll probably go if Austin is wrestling, but I'm not going to go out on a rumor and I'm not going to go in out on a run in. If they have a good Austin Kevin Owens deal, I'm totally in. I'm totally going to go. And I think I'm in that same boat with a lot of people. There's a, lot, a flying crowd. A lot of people making a decision whether or not to go to a, a monstrous two night WrestleMania, but they, man, they not announcing it is really a huge miss and a big missed opportunity. Announce it tomorrow. You know, when as soon as you can, because those ticket sales are are real. You know, they're they're very real. Yeah, yeah. the The, the number of views doesn't matter because you know Peacock views right. doesn't matter, but yeah. those those ticket sales do. I mean, you're talking about they're at like fifty five thousand sold for each night. Some you know fifty to fifty five, and they could the the way it's configured, they have about eighty. So that's a lot of tickets to move if you want like kind of a sellout. So, have you been to that stadium before, Raj? Have you seen wrestling I, there? I, yeah, I went to WrestleMania 32. Oh my god, what a just a cavernous, terrible place to watch wrestling. I was there too. 
Was oh, God, two. getting in was just a nightmare. We almost died. Like it was, just, <laughs> there was, it was the, the scanners weren't working. Everyone's standing oh. outside. And then once you get in, there's a gigantic line. And it was, it was, and it's so sprawled out. Like it's, even if you have good tickets, you're just so far away. Um, it's not a great place to watch a show, which is why Matthew, my son, and I decided maybe we wouldn't go. But bro, Austin, Austin is a big deal. He's a big deal for me, yeah. big deal for my kid. And, it might be something we got to figure out if he shows up. But get on it, WWE. Do you want to sell these tickets <laughs> to us or not? Sell them to us. And I will say, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the last Raw appearance for Austin, if you guys remember, 316 in 2020, when they marketed the whole Raw around him, and it was the first Raw of an empty arena, and he was there was there was nothing. There were no performance center stand-ins cheering. There was no Thunderdome. It was him. And him stunnering Byron Saxton and asking for beers from uh, the ring announcer and the timekeeper. And it was, it was awkward. And I, I believe a raw appearance for Stone Cold is a massive missed opportunity. Because not only are you going to pop a rating, but you're going to pop the roof off any arena he's in. He's it, such if you think that that's bad, you think that's bad. Raj and I played, paid really good money to go see a Survivor Series where the biggest angle had to do with an egg. And it was dedicated to the rock and he never showed up. So I, I'd say that's about the same level of terribleness was that Survivor Series. Yeah, yeah. I, I try to block anything out from that no crowd era. <laughs> um, so you just triggered some bad memories. But <laughs> Thunderdome is a, is a word we don't say around the Crowley household, that's for certain. But let's move on to some more ratings. AEW Dynamite this past Wednesday, just yesterday, 1.01 million, up 16% from last week's 870K. A 0.4 in that key, 18 to 49 demo, up another 27% from last week's 0.3. And it was number three on the cable top 150, straight even with last week not as much uh, pomp and circumstance around this aew dynamite as previous weeks matches announced brian danielson versus daniel garcia we had the mjf segment which was incredible but no one could have advertised it to what it was going to end up being raj uh break down these numbers for me is an a is aew in a good spot in their penultimate dynamite before revolution yeah i mean this was you know this was a good number and this is back to where they're they've been uh, so I, last week they were up against the Olympics. They had NBA competition, uh, but it still was lower than you'd expect last week. And I feel like this this week, you know, topping over a million, that's that's kind of been the uh, the barometer for them. Like staying above a million is, is kind of good under it. Just it just feels like not as good. But uh, compared to last week, big success. Didn't have that much competition. Really, their only competition on that time at the time slot was the news. But the news picked up later uh, with everything going on in, in Ukraine. Uh, so un until then, they didn't have much competition. So it was, it was a good night for them. Uh, once again, up year to year, 21.5% uh, uh, up in, to in total viewers. 18 to 49 was up 14.3%. I mentioned before last year, they were up against NXT. It didn't make a big difference when... They weren't opposing NXT. This is kind of lower from the numbers they did after NXT um, moved, but still a, a good number. And uh, yeah, it, it shows last week was probably more of an outlier. Yeah, absolutely. Real quick in the chat, Mitch Tunar mentioning, uh, or we also got uh, a super chat real quick from Mr. Meow, uh, who said no crowd slash the Thunderdome gave us the hurt business. That's true. Uh, it also kind of gave us, Tribal Chief Roman Reigns, I, I always wonder if he didn't pull out of Mania because of COVID-19, would we have ever got the switch from the big dog to the head of the table? I It's a big wrestling what if that I'm content not knowing the other option because I think what we got in reality was so much better. Um, but Mitch Tunar mentioning that he was at Mania 32 and he sat in the nosebleeds. So uh, I hope you're able to see it on the Tron. And he also mentioned, you know, he wishes we would read the chat. Don't you worry. We are reading the chat, but we're also breaking down some numbers as well. Matt, I want to go to you in terms of AEW dynamite viewership. Did this get you stoked for revolution? And do you think AEW is in a good spot to ensure some pay-per-view buys? The AEW uh, traditionally does really well on pay-per-views. They have a very uh, a small audience, but it's very dedicated. They'll fly to their your shows. They'll buy their pay-per-views. No worries. It's set. And also year to year, as Rod says, growth which is what you want to see really steady growth but what AEW struggles with a little bit less than WWE 
is they throw these great matchups at us, but they give us less of a reason why we want to see them. I want to have angles. I want to have like Garcia and Daniel Bryan. I get it's about, it's part of this overriding arc of Daniel Bryan trying guys out, but it could have been announced before the day of, and there could have been some lead up to it. Uh, Punk and MJF didn't really pop this giant rating when they wrestled the first time because we didn't really understand why we wanted to see it beyond the matchup. The matchup's fun. And hopefully that's what they're trying to do with this great, very interesting, not sure money drawing angle, not sure, but it definitely makes it interesting. But is it a reason why we want to see somebody win and somebody lose? Like we get it just like when we watch a Marvel movie, we get it's not real. We get it's not, you know, we get it's predetermined. But are we really invested in seeing somebody win or lose? That is going to be everything when it comes to ratings because that's what draws in new fans. Yeah, and we talk about the two new matchups. Uh, you talk about what's drawing in fans. We talk about the matchups that have just been announced for Revolution. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but the two that I recall being announced on Dynamite are Danielson versus Moxley and Red Dragon versus the Tag Champs, who are Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. A little brain fart there. But still, those are two really hot matchups adding on to an even more stacked card. And then we got the go-home show next week. So I feel like AEW is really in a good spot to ensure that they get a big pop on pay-per-view. Well, Red Dragon versus uh, Jurassic Express versus a tag team to be determined. Correct. And I'm pretty sure that's going to be the Young Bucks. And, you know, the Young Bucks in there, and that's going to be a banger. Um, Adam Page versus Adam Cole. Uh, it is the world title match. I feel like it doesn't have the same kind of steam that CM Punk, MJF, and uh, John Moxley versus Brian Danielson has. But uh, yeah, you know, I thought I thought Dynamite, the the MJF segment, I thought it was one of the more memorable segments I've seen. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, unless MJ, I mean, I'm sure a month from now MJF is a heel. So how they do his swerve back or or whatever uh, will be interesting to see. Because right now, after I'm seeing that segment, I'm like, there's. There's no way I want to see MJF get beat up in a dog collar, collar fight. I want to, see, you know, I want to see him win. So unless he's saying that I made up all that, I was the one bullying kids when I was in high school, <laughs> you, you know, then, uh, then that's going to be tough to turn me around as a viewer watching it as a entertainment show. And then, and then Jericho and Eddie Kingston too. I, so it was like the two non wrestling segments were the ones that really hooked me. No, don't get me wrong. MJF is a heel. Uh, I have in my possession a video of him making fun of me having a tumor. He's a heel, right? But he's funny. But <laughs> at the same time, um, I have always believed that MJF could be the biggest babyface in all of wrestling. And I think that is eventually his destiny because he's such a great heel. Because he's such a great heel, the fans turning him babyface eventually. And we saw that last night. We saw, I don't know, like Rod said, it confuses me because I'm not sure now how I'm supposed to, you know, I hope CM Punk beats the crap out of the bullied kid. Like, I'm not sure that's how I'm supposed <laughs> to feel. But I've always felt that that's going to be his role, is this underswell, uh, huge baby face. And people are, are people like jerks. People like anti-heroes. And I think MJF is got that potential to be the breakout mainstream guy in AEW, but it's a baby face. And I know I'm alone in thinking that, but I totally do. No, I, I also subscribe to that just a little bit because, man, how awesome was that promo? Because, like, I, I was saying it's my friends. He literally just gave his villain origin story. Like, as a big, like, comic book movie fan, that's awesome. We want to see where these bad guys come from and what makes them tick. And MJF telling a real, authentic, like, emotional. We saw the tears in his eyes, and when Punk came out, he shed one. Like, you can't. You know, I know great actors can force themselves to cry, but it's very, very rare. And to elicit that kind of emotion on command, oh my God. And it was because subtle that was, crying. But oh, that sorry, was real. Ahead. That's why it was real. That was 100% real. Like that happened. And he wasn't acting. He was really true acting, just like true improvising in music. It's really taking what's real and putting it out there in a way that, um, you know, is entertaining to people. And he really tapped into the real emotion he had and you felt that there was nothing put on about that that shit was 100 real it was great yeah and it was subtle too it wasn't like he was crying all over the place he had the one tear it was just that made him feel more real just like you know uh, where it didn't feel like he was acting he had the one tear um i thought it was great again it's it's hard for me to root against mjf uh, after that even no matter how, what how dastardly he is <laughs> next week unless he just comes out and you know like i said he said i made that all that up 
Because otherwise, yeah, I don't want to cheer on this kid who was bullied and finally is, you know, meeting his idol and, and <laughs> wrestling him in the ring. That's that's such a great babyface story. <laughs> it's awesome. And I, I can't wait to see not just where they go with it in the match, but what happens next week. Because if this was the go-home show, I'd be a little concerned. Like, did we just blur the lines? Did we just switch the face and heel? Who are we supposed to root for? But something's got to happen next week. Are we, are we really going... I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you guys. Um, are we going double turn? That's 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 a question. Are we going double turn? Because Punk is very comfortable in that heel role. And do what better match? What better match to to be in to do a double turn than a dog collar match? Because what possible scenario exists scenario exists where we now boo MJF, except to say it's all BS when we've actually all seen these these screenshots of these Facebook posts he's made where you know what he's saying is true. And I can't think of a more unexpected double turn than MJF CM Punk, like the most hated man in wrestling against one of the most beloved and having an authentic switch. Ah, be incredible. Uh, one quick thing I want to say before we switch over to Peacemaker, just thinking about this AEW Revolution card. Uh, I don't know if this is a strength or a negative, but it seems like the feud matches, you know, the grudge matches, ones without a title on the line are what's really driving home this show, which I think is really cool and goes to show how good stories are being built on weekly AEW Dynamite. Punk versus uh, MJF, which we just talked about at length. Jericho versus Eddie Kingston, which feels like a really long-built and like intimate feud. And then the last one that I'm blanking on right now, for whatever reason, but as I think out loud, maybe it'll come to me. I can't think of it. Which which is the last? Well, Danielson Moxley. Danielson Moxley, that's what it is, yes. Yeah, and, and that's not so much a feud as just the, the the story that they are telling it's just great it's it's just different um it's not you turned on me we're gonna fight it's just something completely different um and uh, yeah I, i'm looking to that forward to that match more than anything on that show but that, that should be awesome you know, and I know something you... oh go ahead go for it. <laughs> no no you got it matt seriously and there's something to, to look at with those matchups you said versus the title matches the title matches involve people that Tony Khan is very uh, usually pretty strongly and uh, very well done building up younger AEW faces, right? Uh, not baby faces, but just faces, Adam Cole, I'm sorry, Adam Page, uh, Jungle Boy, but the matches you talked about, Blood Feuds, very established names, very mainstream names, Mox, Danielson, uh, Chris Jericho, you know, those are the ones still that people really, really want to see. And I think their experience has uh, led them, as we saw with uh, the tremendous Jericho Kingston segment last night, has led us to really want to see those matches, uh, is the fact that these were still not really struggling. It's just a slow process to build up the Hangman Pages and the uh, Jungle Boys to the level of your Danielsons and your Moxes and Jerichos. Yeah, and, and real quick also uh, regarding the a, a possible double turn, to Tommy Howard's point, we got the Wardlow thing still there, you know, and, and that's kind of designed for Wardlow to be a baby face. I mean, they could always do uh, a double turn and the Wardlow helps out Punk and <laughs> you got two heels there. But uh, I, I, if I'm a betting man, MJF's a heel a month from now and uh, Wardlow's his next destination. I will say for everyone who is saying Punk was doing nothing of substance in AEW, very subtly, not immediate. It wasn't an immediate shift, but this MJF feud dating back to whenever it blossomed, I think it was shortly after Full Gear when MJF wrapped up his program with Darby. It's just slowly just gotten more interesting and Punk becomes more must-see television rather than just a novelty act, which I really, really appreciate. Another thing that was must-see television over on HBO Max, Peacemaker. It came, it went, it aired eight episodes over the course of five weeks. It had that three-episode premiere, obviously, and it was the talk of the town. Real quick, it had the biggest single-day performance for any HBO Max original series and earned a 44% increase in viewership over the pilot. So from the pilot to the finale, it leaped like talk about just steady growth from episode one to episode eight. Really, really impressive stuff. Before we get into the nitty gritty and spoilers, we'll make sure to give a spoiler warning. I want to get some of your spoiler free thoughts. Matt, I'll go to you first for this one. How did you enjoy Peacemaker season one? Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I've been over the top with my praise for Peacemaker. John Cena being the best wrestler turned actor ever. 
maybe this show having one of the best first seasons ever, like just a great first season and probably the best comic book TV show I've ever seen. Um, and I love Falcon Winter Soldier, WandaVision, and, you know, a few others. But man, oh man, did they put this show together. And I'm not sure it would have been as great without John Cena. Like James Gunn is great. And the, the plot was great. But Cena really tied this whole thing together. I can't, uh, you know, some people, friends of mine will call me critical or too negative. But this this show is an A+. I can't think of it being done better by better people. It's awesome. Raj, how about you? Yeah, I loved it. I mean, I, I thought it was, was fast-paced. Uh, Matt, have you seen The Suicide Squad yet? Or just, wait, which one is the second? The Suicide, Suicide Squad, Squad yeah. I did not see it. So when people say, you've got to see, I haven't seen Suicide, I'm like, dude, I got caught up in like the first five minutes, I'm good. Like, that's all I needed. That <laughs> yeah, first yeah. five minutes, they go, here's the deal. He almost died. Now he's fine. He's kind of like this guy calls himself Peacemaker, but he kills people. All right, I'm in. And then they just go, 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 go. It was so yeah. good. Yeah, I mean, but you should you should watch it if you enjoy the show a lot because it's so similar. This the humor, the style, uh, everything. It's it's kind of it's the same. Uh, it's it, this is just a continuation of that. And I th I thought uh, I thought the show was great. I, I agree with Matt with Cena. I think as far as a, an actor who's done multiple projects, I do think he's the best wrestler turned actor. Uh, he was just freaking great in it. It, it, it it there were some things that were very similar to the movie you know with the you had the the giant the cow uh <laughs> and peacemaker whereas in in the movie it was the starfish the giant starfish uh you had the starfish throwing you know starfish at people and it took over them and here you had the butterflies uh, a lot of things that were kind of similar, uh, the, the synergy between the movie and and the show, which is which is great because that humor, it just every episode just cracked me up. And you get into the characters, um, even uh, Vigilante yes. <laughs> can be pretty, pretty awful, but <laughs> you're rooting for him, you know, and he's just hilarious. Freddie Stroma was great. And a fun fact about Freddie Stroma in that role was he was not the original actor cast. They cast someone completely different. And I think there was either a scheduling conflict or he backed out. Freddie Stroma was very much the backup. And man, oh man, was he a fantastic backup. He really balled out. And I was a very big fan of his character. Stellar Justin Lopez sends in another fun fact over at a super chat. Thank you so much, Justin, for popping in and uh, supporting the stream. He says it was made for pennies, which is very true. Half the budget was used. Uh, for that cow, the big CGI set piece in the finale, and those two cameos in the finale, without a doubt, the best DC TV series. With Justin bringing up those two cameos, and maybe it's time to talk a little spoilers. Yeah, yeah, and just a uh, just a uh, a little warning to everyone that listens to you know all the after the wrestling talk when we're reviewing these shows, there are there are spoilers, so you know you can pause it, wait till you watch the show, and then come back. But uh, uh, we do have spoilers. Um, yeah, so the the cameos. You want you want me to talk? Yeah, about you're you're the comic book guy. <laughs> well, these these two cameos caused a, a bit of rift on social media because that we saw two of them in the flesh, but the other two we didn't see. We know Gal Gadot is obviously going to be Wonder Woman probably for the rest of her career, but Henry Cavill's in a bit of a contract flux. He wants to come back. Warner wants to do something else. And then Batman and Cyborg, they're in the middle of rebooting Batman coming out next week, March 4th. So they didn't want to show him. And then Cyborg, Ray Fisher, I don't know how much you know about his allegations against uh, the Justice League uh, uh, replacement director, Joss Whedon, but he's in a very murky spot. So having those four and only showing two left people a little wonky, but still, what an unbelievable surprise. Like this is the equivalent of in Falcon Winter Soldier, uh, Chris Evans showing up as old man Captain America. Completely unexpected, completely out of nowhere. And another fun fact, the uh, Jason Momoa and Ezra Miller cameos were shot on different sets. That's why they, they, aren't, they aren't shown in the same frame, their faces. The camera whooshes over. Ezra Miller's face was shot, his cameo was shot on the set of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which is a Marvel set under oh. Disney. So... James Gunn, man, you know, after seemingly being canceled for a month a couple years ago, is now just the great liaison of Hollywood that's able to just make all these studios get along, which I think is really, really special. 
Uh, Matt, did you pop for uh, Aquaman and uh, Flash showing up? It was crazy. Uh, it was great to see. But what I thought was even like better about that moment was that James Gunn somehow was able to get Aquaman and Flash to continue the tone of Peacemaker. You know, with this, with this, I guess, uh, canonical idea now that people accuse uh, Aquaman of having his way with fish. You know, and so you know the fact that they were able to go with that tone still, which is unlike any tone in a DC movie. You know, it was very Peacemaker, but it's like, okay, you guys are coming in. It's gonna be super edgy. Uh, the Superman, they just showed the shadow, so it could have been Shazam, it could have been anybody. Um, but those, uh, you know, so they didn't have to pay for it. But I tell you, how perfect a way was that to end that season? Was just to say, oh, by the way, it's part of this world, and we're going to acknowledge both back and forth. And, uh, you know, it's almost like Justice League was getting the rub from Peacemaker, not vice versa, which was interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it did it did make the show feel <clears throat> that much bigger when you're getting the the real the actual actors from these giant, you know, I don't know how much Aquaman uh, made offhand, but uh, it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. I don't know. One I don't billion. think it, did it reach Aquaman, a billion? Aquaman as of now is the only DCEU movie to cross a billion. Joker did it as well, but doesn't exist in the same universe. Wonder Woman didn't. No, Wonder Woman did like 750 mil, and then the sequel just went straight to HBO Max. Right, 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 right. Oh, wow. I, I, I didn't realize that was the only one. Wait, the Batman movies, right? Well, the Nolan movies are not like the, the current universe and all gotcha. that. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Within Rises, this, I believe Dark Knight Rises crossed a billion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, with this iteration. Yeah, that's so. Um, I still haven't seen Aquaman, so I, I gotta, I gotta check it's that fun. out. I've never seen Flash either. Um, the flash doesn't have his own movie right not yet coming out in uh november okay gotcha but yeah yeah it was it was a cool surprise um and seeing it yeah seeing it had been you know spreading those allegations about aquaman so (laughs) it was cute how they played off of that i don't think he said anything about flash though did he throughout the series no i i don't remember flash being mentioned he met he had jokes against batman wonder woman superman and aquaman just about everyone yeah except flash Yeah, yeah. So it, yeah, it was it was great. I thought, uh, and then we got Joe Kerr bringing up Peacemaker versus Black Adam. They're both DC. <laughs> a little Rock and Cena rematch in the DC universe. Well, I mean, if we're talking comic accuracy, Black Adam would kill Peacemaker <laughs> in like literally two seconds. One Liam's like, gone. no, no, that's no I, good. It's not a good. It, you can't do that. It would be very fun, and I think it's a missed opportunity if they don't at least share, share a scene together. That'd be awesome. That would be uh, that would be something. For me, one of my um, one of my memories as a musician that will persist of Peacemaker is the music uh, from the from the beginning credits to the kind of hairband, the deep cut hairband stuff, and the sublime, if I may say, version of "Home Sweet Home" by Mr. John Cena played on the piano. That mm-hmm. was incredible, an incredible moment. Even little mistakes he made. The fact that he was so emotive on his face playing that version of Home Sweet Home, which was written uh, for him to play in that particular part, because apparently John Cena can do everything. uh, That was, to me, an amazing part of the show. Music is so important, and it really helped set the tone for the whole show. Now, my one thing, see what you guys think. You're probably not going to (laughs) agree. Because it was so similar to the movie, The Suicide Squad, with the butterfly cow angle. What if they just made it about the white dragon and his disciples and, and, and you didn't have the cow and the butterfly. You just made the season about that because the cow, I could care less. You, you, you knew it was going to happen, but you know, uh, Robert Patrick is the white dragon. That was like really menacing. And those scenes were just uh, out of this world, you know, with him and Cena. So I just thought like that to me was more interesting than the butterflies and the cows, the cow. Yeah, that it's weird to even call it a subplot, but it kind of was a subplot, even though arguably, aside from John Cena, Robert Patrick was the biggest name attached to this project. Like, that's the Terminator right there. And I would argue that right now he still is the bigger name. I think more people probably know Robert Patrick. You know, John Cena's getting there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's there yet. He's still kind of one of those guys where if you're telling friends that aren't wrestling fans, you'd be like, he was the guy in this, or, you know, he, he was yeah. the guy in, in, in that. And, but I, I don't know. I could be wrong, but that's just what I, I feel like. 
I totally get what you're saying, but I guess I'd argue maybe that the white knight backdrop created a a clear um, black and white, a clear good guy and bad guy situation, which kind of led to maybe the allowance for some ambiguity in that last episode, where maybe mm-hmm. these aren't totally bad people because real bad people just got left in the street over there. You know, maybe that's the reason for having the backdrop of the white knight, which is a clear, clear case of right and wrong. Whereas, as we all know, um, the existence of butterflies in our planet is still debated by many. So, you know, uh, <laughs> it's, you know, maybe that's the reason, although it's, and also I think we've become accustomed in superhero movies to see something otherworldly. It's, it's gotta be something big and something grand. And James Gunn is like, bro, I need special effects. So give me the cow, give me the cow. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just felt like uh, Robert Patrick was more a uh, more interesting bad guy than the the cow. <laughs> it, it, I I very much agree. What the, everything with White Dragon I thought was so like must watch television, and I wasn't upset when they killed him off because it felt no, like I, his story had been wrapped up. But it was a situation where it was like, all right, well now we go into the finale with kind of like the less interesting story. I feel like the show almost almost was reaching a peak in episode seven. But then we got a crazy action scene. We got the cameos. We got a lot of resolution with all the various characters, which I thought was really great. Seller Justin Lopez sending in another super chat. By the way, thank you so much, Justin. He says, the only reason I'm hyped for that Flash movie in November is because the goat of Batman goats, Michael Keaton, is suiting back up as Batman at 70. And not only is he suiting back up for the Flash movie, he's also going to be in HBO Max's Batgirl movie that is filming right now. So we got Michael Keaton back in the cape and cowl for the foreseeable future, which is pretty wild considering he first played the character back in 1989. Raj, Matt, do either of you have any connections to the Keaton Batman movies? Uh, Matt, I'll go to you first. Oh, yeah. I was in high school, and uh, Taco Bell had these collector cups that they're giving <laughs> out. You know, and, and also that was the first hey, it's going to be cool now. Hey, we're rebooting Batman. He's not going to be goofy. We put a lot of money into it. It was one of the most, as I remember, one of the most highly promoted movies that ever came out. And I will also say this for people my age, when Michael Keaton was cast as Batman, that was, you can't compare him to anything else as far as the pushback. Like, he was a comedian. He was a comic actor. And it was like, Michael Keaton? And it worked out really well. So uh, I, I guess those are the first kind of leveled up superhero movies. They don't really hold up as good now. But at the time, Especially, oh man, they got Prince. They got Prince through the soundtrack. It was a big deal, and I'm sure Raj could concur. Yeah, that that the Bat Dance song was all the craze <laughs> that summer, and that really look. I from what I can remember, I don't remember Superman three coming out in the theaters. I remember seeing Superman three and, and two. I, I think three was one with Richard Pryor, right? Yep. And then two was was three also the one where there a good Superman fought the bad guy Superman at one point. <laughs> I think that might have been two with uh, with uh, Zod and all them and the Phantom Zone. But but this Batman, that was the that kind of introduced the summer superhero blockbuster because you had you already kind of had the summer blockbusters with Jaws that kind of started it. Um, But this was the first superhero highly promoted. People that had never read a Batman comic were super excited about this movie, and it and you had Jack Nicholson in it, and it was just gigantic at that time. I mean, I just remember it was impossible to get a ticket. You know, you, that was in the day when you can buy tickets uh, online, so you had to like wait in line ahead of time. So it was it was it was awesome. Yeah, there's nothing like a summer blockbuster, and I'm so excited for this summer because movie theaters are basically officially back, and we got plenty to look forward to. Black Adam, obviously, being one that we'll likely cover on the Thursday night editions of the Wrestling Inc. podcast because it's The Rock's first superhero role, and he was announced to be playing this character like a decade ago, which is crazy. (laughs) This movie's been in development hell for so long. I believe it when I see it. (laughs) (laughs) Zachary uh, sending in another super chat saying, impressive enough. He only agreed, speaking of Michael Keaton, to go back if he can do his own stunts. Can't wait for the movie. Just like Willem Dafoe, who recently came back as Green Goblin. These actors love being the superheroes, not just the face. They want to be the body, too. So is he playing like an old Batman in the movie? Yeah, there's going to be some multiverse stuff. There's going to be okay. dimension hopping and whatnot. In the flash. It, will, it will be a yes, it will be a continuation of the same Batman from 1989. And uh, is the, current, the new Batman going to be in it? 
Uh, Robert Pattinson's is completely separate. That's okay. like existing in its own world, just like Christopher Nolan's movies. In case you have any questions, Liam seems to have a grip on all these universes. <laughs> but I will say that this multiverse thing is such a convenient way to get around everything. Yeah. I think I think wrestling should do this too. You know, they should yeah, say, maybe. "Oh, you know, <laughs> we'll bring in Sting, but he's twenty. You know, and, and he'll, you know, he'll wrestle Oz or whatever. You know, because it's a multiverse, so who cares, right? We can just bring in everybody. It's a very handy way to kind of way, hand wave away years of canon. You know, do you think that? With how technology is getting, like I don't know if you saw um, the, the Irishman, uh, where with uh, uh, with um, De Niro. Uh, Bob De Niro and Joe Pesci, and and they did the digiting, the digitizing their age, so they looked younger, you know, when they did the flashbacks, and it looked flawless. Do you think they get get to the point where they put these dream matches that you never got to see and create like these little movies where you have you could do. Uh, uh, Steve Austin versus Goldberg in their primes and and, and do the CGI uh, crowd and the reactions. You make this because the CGI looks so realistic now and it's going to keep getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper to produce that you could create these dream matches that look lifelike and, uh, and throw it on the network or something. I don't know. To give you a quick metaphor to show you how easy and likely and possible and cheap it is, uh, Boba Fett, we covered that a couple weeks ago. Episode six has some pretty lengthy spoilers for Boba Fett. Hope everyone's been caught up. It's been out for a couple of weeks now. Luke Skywalker is in episode six, but it's Luke Skywalker from 1983's Return of the Jedi. And it's completely CGI'd and you cannot tell. I was convinced they recast someone and got a Mark Hamill lookalike from 1983. And not only was it completely CGI, but Luke Skywalker also showed up in the Mandalorian season two finale. And a lot of people complained that the CGI on his face didn't look great. Someone on YouTube on their own accord, polished it up and Lucasfilm hired them to do the CGI for this Boba Fett episode. And it was so good that someone like me wasn't able to tell the difference between real life and virtual. And this was done by a guy who did it for fun on YouTube. So wow. if you're asking if we can get, you know, Dolph Ziggler versus Shawn Michaels, both in their primes in a cinematic style match. I really Undertaker. hope this man isn't listening because he's probably going to steal your idea. You know, <laughs> and I, I saw something recently. I can't remember what it was, but it had flashbacks where people were very young and it was incredible. It wasn't the Irishman. It was, it was recent. I can't remember what it was. Um, but here's the qu real question, Raj. You think Vince won't? Like, do you really think Vince is going to be like, no, let's not do that? You know, like, Vince is, <laughs> you know, I mean, think about we're basically doing that now, but just with old people in Saudi Arabia, you know, like, if right. it's an opportunity to make people younger and put on those little outfits people wear when they make the video games, you know, and yeah. just have it recreated, you know, and, and just have Dolph Ziggler play Shawn Michaels or whatever, that's happening. It's right. really. If that doesn't happen before 2030, I'll be surprised. <laughs> Sean versus Eddie. I mean, the, the possibilities are, are the limitless. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, we started this Thursday night edition of the Wrestling Inc. podcast talking about Cesaro moving on. And we end with VR wrestling federations and how they're probably <laughs> only a couple of years away. Hey, that's an episode of the Thursday night edition of the Wrestling Inc. podcast. We thank you all so much for joining us on these fun shows. Raj, I feel like you have someone else to say though, real quick. I just really quick wanted to ask, when does the Batman come out? Next Friday. Next Friday. And Ooh. when are you doing a, the preview? Uh, I'm seeing it early on Tuesday. Okay. So maybe you can, no spoilers, but talk about it next week. Yeah, that'd be very fun. I'm, I'm in for that. And then maybe we'll cover it on the week after once everyone has had a chance to see it. All right. Very that'd be cool. a good time. Good stuff. Well, hey, that's the Wrestling Inc. podcast on Thursday. Thank you all so much for joining us. Raj, you can see his social media right down there below at RajGary underscore 303. Anything fun you got going on on the website that you want to plug? I mean, it's just insanity right now with all the news. <laughs> you know, and it's not going to slow down. I mean, we're in just, uh, you know, we're, we're at a time when now we're starting to see AEW contracts finally coming up. So now you're starting to you're going to start seeing over the next year or two more crossover as opposed to we'd only been seeing one way. So, uh, and then Cody, you know, until he shows up and Austin's still not announced, huge, huge stuff ahead. 
Absolutely. At just Matt Kuhn. You can see his social right down there below. Matt, always a pleasure when we get to hop on these mics together. Anything fun you got going on in your crazy world? Absolutely nothing. Uh, but you can follow me on Twitter and you guys out there, uh, make sure to tell the people that you love that you love them because no one's around forever and make sure to be good to each other. And that's pretty much it. I can't that's echo great. it. I couldn't have said it better myself. And I absolutely echo everything you just said. You can find me on socials right down there below at Liam T. Crowley. Make sure to follow at Wrestling Inc. on TikTok for your daily wrestling updates in video form, which is always a lot of fun. And hey, that's been the Wrestling Inc. podcast. Real quick before we go, though, I do want to emphasize the Wrestling Inc. Twitter account still in kind of a limbo situation. So if you haven't already, make sure to follow at Wrestling Inc. Com. C-O-M at the end. No period, no underscore, none of that. That's the Twitter account we've been using pretty actively for the past week. And until we get the official at Wrestling Inc. one back, that's the one we'll be using for the foreseeable future. So make sure to follow all those social accounts. That's your homework until next Thursday's edition of the Wrestling Inc. podcast. We'll see you then.